Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Shares for beginners. There's a significant amount of change blowing through many industries. Um, you know, and financial services and investments are no exception to that. So I think um, it's an exciting place to be. I think we have great experience that we can share and bring to a lot of these discussions around innovation, disruption, and what services and markets look like uh, into the future. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. You'll notice that when you first buy some shares that there's lots of paperwork. That is until you set yourself up with the company share registry. Now this may sound complicated to start with, but once you understand the procedure, you can streamline the whole process. My guest today to explain is Scott Hudson. G'day Scott. Hi Phil, thanks for having me on. Yeah, finally we get you on. So, Scott Hudson is the General Manager, Market Liaison at ComputerShare. Scott leads many of ComputerShare's external relationships and engagement activities with industry bodies and market participants, including ASIC, ASX, Financial Services Council, Australian Council of Superannuation Investors, Governance Institute of Australia, and the Australian Custodian Services Association. And you also spent five years working, was this a hedge fund when you were with HSBC in London? Yeah, so I worked for um, Gartmore, who was a, a UK fund manager. We had about a seven billion US hedge fund platform. Um, so worked for both Gartmore, and then Gartmore sold that business that I was in to HSBC. But we, um, the primary client was still Gartmore. So yeah, five years in hedge funds. Good times in London. Yeah, was that exciting? Very exciting. Yeah, in the city in London, that would have been great. Right yeah. in the middle of the city. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was all action over there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So the term hedge fund is sometimes we hear a lot. I think it's a bit more in the United States and overseas than here in Australia. But for new investors, for beginners, what is a hedge fund, and what were you actually doing in that job? What did you do every morning when you woke up and got in there and opened up the computer? If there were computers in those days. Well, no, I mean, hey, come on. It was, um, I mean, I, I got to London at the end of 2001 and came home at the end of 2006. So we certainly had computers. So my role there, you know, sort of two primary things. One was looking after our external stakeholder relations with brokers, prime brokers, their names like Morgan Stanley, Deutsche Bank, JP Morgan, our custodians. So, you know, very similar to what we see here in Australia. Citibank, BNP, Paribas. So looking after external relationships, which ultimately is how I went from you know, working in London for a $7 billion hedge fund to doing registry in Melbourne. So my whole career has really been about looking after external relationships with clients and, and stakeholders. So that relationship piece aside, the, the main part of the role with the hedge fund was actually a fund controller role. And so you had the fund manager who essentially they made the buying and selling decisions of the securities that they wanted to purchase or, or sell out of. And then, you know, all aspects of the fund then sort of fell to the fund controller. So the primary role was tracking the profit and loss of the daily trade. So the first thing I do is get into the office in the morning and have a look at how the book had gone 
either from the prior uh, day's trading or um, I, I was sort of working on the Asia-Pacific funds and the emerging markets funds. And I picked up the emerging markets funds because the guys thought it was quite funny because Australia's an emerging market, isn't it? Which I thought was a bit of a cheap <laughs> shot. So, But basically just checking to see how the funds had actually performed overnight, running the profit and loss statement from the trading activities. And then you know, running all manner of analytics from then, we'd get heavily involved in new fund launches. You know, we'd write a lot of investor updates. Yeah, we'd get involved in the corporate actions where there are offers on for the funds. We'd get involved in the voting as well. And what is a hedge fund? So a hedge fund, hedge fund, I guess, is sort of a little bit of a catch-all term. But ultimately, the term hedge comes from having some sort of protection or balance in place so that you are, I guess, protected or hedged from market movements. So I guess there's sort of the, the more technical term for hedge fund is an absolute return. And an absolute return fund or a hedge fund ultimately looks to try and make positive investment returns regardless of what the underlying markets are doing. The way that you do that is investing into not just shares, but a broad range of derivatives of structured products, over-the-counter contracts that we would write with our prime brokers and the like. And often hedge funds are, um, you know, have very, very broad mandates in terms of what they can or can't invest in or, or particular areas of speciality. And the firm I worked for was Gartmore Investment Management and our speciality um, you're pretty good at a few things, but really it was the large European companies business. The two fund managers that I worked for there, Roger Guy and Guillaume Ramberg, are probably the best you know, large cap fund managers in the world at, at the time. Pre-GFC in London for five years for a, a big hedge fund, learnt a hell of a lot, Phil. It was uh, good times, good times. So you're working for a share registry now. You're working for computer share. What is a share registry? What is a share registry? Very, very good question. I think um, probably the easiest way to, uh, to answer that is sort of to maybe use some other analogies. And so, you know, when you've got your licence and you go to Vic Roads or, or the RTA and they record who the licence holders are or you go to the land titles office and they register who the owners of, of properties are, computer share as a share registry ultimately records the ownership of companies. So who are the shareholders what are their names? What are their addresses of the companies? And we, we primarily focus on ASX listed companies here in Australia, but um, the computer shares in 20 countries around the world. And, you know, we do this in a number of different capital markets globally. And this covers all sorts of exchange traded products as well. So it's ETFs as well and um, all forms of share ownership. Yes, that's exactly right. Yes, yeah, we've seen um, a huge amount of growth in our exchange-traded funds uh, list book of clients. So when you buy some shares, you get some information in the mail. What's in that information in the mail? So hopefully we're actually attacking how much mail goes out. It's interesting because I talk to a lot of people about mail and, and have done for a long time, and about 70% of what Computer Share actually sends to investors over any one year is uh, actually goes out the door digitally. So whether that's via email or whether that's via data files. But um, yeah, when you first buy shares and you, and you trade the shares with your broker on the stock exchange, the details of those shareholdings flow through to computer share. And then we'll often send you a, um, a welcome letter as a new shareholder in that company. Now, that may well go out as paper, but importantly, we're also sending a lot of these out 
to new shareholders as digital sort of welcome letters when you first join and, and buy shares in a company. And ultimately what we're looking for there is really some, some key information to get provided by the investor. And the key things here are a bank account so that we can pay your dividends to you electronically and you get your dividend money nice and quick, you know, rather than waiting for a, a check in the post. That check in the post is the default option though, really. So if you don't fill out any of this, you'll still get a lot of mail and your check will arrive in the mail. It may well arrive. And this is not a new thing. This has been something that's been happening for probably more than a decade and I'm, and I'm coming up to 15 years with computer share. So it's, um, you know, it's not a new policy, but a lot of companies, um, you know, really to sort of, you know, improve the service for clients and not be sending out, you know, not have those delays with checks are, um, are sort of implementing it or have implemented a, a mandatory direct credit uh, policy. So, and ultimately the numbers of checks that we're talking about for dividends and, and the number of checks that we talk about in total is probably less than 5%. So 95% of what goes out to clients with dividends or to investors with their dividend payments do go out electronically via direct credit straight into their bank account. A colleague of mine was talking to a young person, this was a few weeks ago, um, who was asking about checks that uh, she'd never actually seen a check. And this colleague was explaining about checks and how you'd have to, you know, fill it out and then send it off and three days to clear and all of how it works. And the young person said, no wonder they never took off. <laughs> it's interesting, Phil. I mean, we, we've, we've actually seen a number of projects in some markets around the world where economies are actually removing the check option. And so we're, we're going through that in New Zealand. So, you know, you actually won't be able to, you know, bank a check. You won't be able to write checks over there. Yeah, and, and that's a trend that we, we're increasingly seeing. So again, give us your bank account details so that we can give you your dividend money as quickly as possible. So um, I guess the other key piece of information, and this you know gets back to dividends as well, is you know we really want people's tax file numbers or company number if uh, if shares are held with a, uh, a a company or a corporate trustee for a self managed super fund, and really. We need that tax file number to prevent withholding tax being taken out, which, you know, where we do take withholding tax out, you know, where there's no tax file number or no tax no tax number on the record, you know, that's almost 50% of the dividend. So if you're expecting a dividend of $100, you're probably only going to get about $50, $52, $53 actually come through. So very much worth your while making sure that computer share does have your tax file number so that you do get the full value of that dividend. That money's not lost. You know, it can be claimed back via the tax return. But um, yeah, I'm not sure too many people that would say, I'd prefer $53 to $100, please, Scott. So yeah, we definitely want your tax file number. And look, probably the third piece of information that we'd like is an email address. And if we don't have that already, you know, when I look at some of our clients, you know, some of them have got 55 or 60% of their shareholders have got an email address. And, you know, really what that enables, that enables, you know, much faster, much quicker communication, much cheaper, you know, cost-effective communication as well. So keep in mind, you know, we're talking about shareholder monies to service investors and so sending an email an email is obviously much more cost effective and efficient than um, and environmentally friendly than printing and postage of letters and you know to that sort of uh, opening comment about you know that there's lots of paperwork and lots of paper 
like I said, I've been a computer chair for approaching 15 years and we've sort of really had a, um, a number of initiatives over a long, long time to try and, you know, remove paper out of the ecosystem. And, you know, and I think we've been pretty good at that. 70% of what goes out from our place to investors is all digital now. Investors can also take their dividends in the form, with some companies, in the form of DRPs, dividend reinvestment plans. How do they work? That's a, it's a really good point. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of companies that essentially um, offer a dividend reinvestment plan, which is where we take the cash value of the dividend and then instead of getting paid cash into your bank account, you'll be issued with shares for that monetary equivalent of that dividend. So if you were due a $100 dividend and you've elected a DRP, share price of the shares is $10.00 then instead of getting paid the $100, you'll actually get credited with an additional 10 shares onto your shareholding there. Now, a lot of DRPs actually have a slight discount that's available for investors, and so that might make it attractive. And I think DRPs are a nice way of of accumulating and growing your shareholding. And compounding as well. And compounding, yes. Yeah, that's exactly right, Phil. And this is something that you look after at the share registry. If someone wants to participate in a dividend reinvestment plan, that's that's you guys. Yeah, correct. Yes, yeah. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's also important to keep all your details up to date with the registry, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. Even though mail's not going to your physical address, it still is important for legal reasons and to track what's going on because it's not like a piece of property, you know. A property you might buy and sell once every five, ten years, but shares can be traded in all sorts of durations. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I mean, look, where investors do have a change in details, If they're moving house, for example, it's really important to let their broker know. If their broker's sponsored or have a HIN, and uh, the the way to identify that is your identification number will start with an X. That's a holder identification number. HIN starts with an X. Let your broker know because the broker ultimately owns that relationship with with the investor. If it's an issuer-sponsored holding or an I, then come to the registry. So come to ComputerShare or whoever the registrar is for that listed company. Well, let's talk about the chess system. I think people get confused about share registries and chess. What is chess and how are your shares owned by you under the chess system? So um, share ownership in Australia, there's two what we call sub-registers. There's the chess sub-register, which is all of the shares that are held where the investor has a sponsoring broker, or there's the issuer-sponsored sub-register where the shares are essentially sponsored directly with the issuer and so the registry you know we take the ownership records and the share records from the asx from chess so chess is the is the sort of the main clearing and settlement system from the asx so we take those records and then we essentially splice them together with the issuer sponsored register to give the complete record of ownership of the companies or the the register of members to be to be technical 
So this is something that I've seen people talking about and that the chess system is still paper-based. So um, when you get that piece of paper saying that the shares are in your name or they've been removed for your name, that's actually the ASX's chess system? Is that how it works? Yeah, so the chess holding statements are issued by the ASX, yes. And they often come out, you know, sometimes more than a month after a trade has been done so that it captures all of the trading that may have gone through a HIN over a monthly period, whereas the welcome letter from the registry, you know, should come out fairly close to when you've actually conducted that initial trade. Hmm. Is there anything else there that we should cover under the chess and registry and the differences and anything else, any other point, do you think? Oh, look, look. I mean, the fundamental one that I think confuses a lot of investors is the where do I change my address? You know, we get that a lot. And particularly with broker-sponsored holdings, it's the broker that needs to change that address. You know, they're the one who own that investor relationship. And so, you know, that's why I was pretty keen to sort of get that point across because we do have a lot of people come to us and say, hey, I've moved house. And we go, you're going to have to call your broker. Okay. In terms of owning the share, then there's two things you need to let your broker know, whether it's an online broker or a physical broker. All of your trades are going to be executed by a broker, aren't they? Yes, correct. And then the recording for things like um, dividends and so forth is with the registry. Yeah. So effectively, the registry gets involved in anything after the trade. So they're the AGMs, they're the dividend payments, and then the corporate actions. Oh, corporate actions. <laughs> Let's talk about corporate actions. What's a corporate action? What's a corporate action? Very, very good question. When I was leaving university and uh, going to join the National Australia Bank for my first job, it was in their corporate actions department and there was a question I asked because I didn't know what a corporate action was then either. And the recruitment consultant came back to me and said, oh, it sounds amazing. You're going to get involved in company takeovers and annual general meetings and proxy fights. And I had this picture of, uh, of Gordon Gecko from Wall Street when he stands up at the Teldar paper meeting and he's pointing at the board and, you know, having a fair crack at the board. And I thought, well, this sounds like an amazing job. I'm going to be like a Collins Street version of, uh, of Gordon Gecko. <laughs> it's not quite like that. Corporate actions, I think, uh, you know, sort of is a bit of a catch-all term for Company transactions, let's call them company transactions. They might be mergers, company mergers, company takeovers, capital raisings. And we've seen a lot of capital raisings over the last 12 or 15 months in forms of rights issues and share purchase plans. Just if we could break down those um, uh, the capital raisings. Sure. So recently an example would be travel companies who suddenly didn't have any cash flow and they had to raise capital because of the COVID situation. Just explain that a little bit to us, please. Yeah. So look, the reasons for companies raising additional capital are, are many and varied. And so you know, I guess if I sort of think about this as two broad buckets, one is companies trying to raise additional capital to shore up their balance sheet, or then you've also got companies uh, looking to raise capital to fund growth opportunities or investment opportunities. And ComputerShare is a listed company in our own right. We undertook a rights issue recently. That rights issue that ComputerShare ran was to fund the purchase of the Wells Fargo business in the US. So, you know, two very broad reasons why a company is going to raise capital, shore up their balance sheet or for, to, to fund, uh, you know, growth or expansionary 
opportunities. And um, the share registry, you're also looking at after the communication for AGMs and voting intentions. Tell us about that. Yes, yes. So when it comes around to the uh, to the time for the companies to run their annual general meetings, Computer Share as a registry is very heavily involved in that. And so we actually send the investors the documentation and that might be the notice of meeting and proxy form. In many cases, that goes out digitally via email so people can click right through, access all of the key information that they need, the key resolutions, and then you know the investors can then vote online. There are our systems. Those votes then come back to ComputerShare. We then start collating those votes until AGM day, and then if you actually turn up to attend an AGM, an annual general meeting, that's going to be a registry team that's actually going to be sitting out the front of the meeting registering you. So we then take the votes at the meeting and essentially tally those up with the proxy votes that have come through beforehand to then issue the uh, the final results to the companies for those resolutions and all the voting that goes on. And um, I always highly recommend that people should go to an AGM. Too many people, I think, just look at a, a code on a screen rather than thinking about the living, breathing company. And um, they can be quite action-packed at times, can't they, especially if there's controversial resolutions to be voted on? Yes, absolutely, they can. They can be a lot more like the uh, Gordon Gecko Teldar paper uh, example that I mentioned earlier. But then equally, there's a lot of our annual general meetings that are very vanilla. You know, companies done a great job, couple of directors up for re-election. They can be quite vanilla. But, um, yeah, the uh, the fiery ones are always um, – I always find them very, very stressful. You know, these are high-profile public events for, you know, my teams and my staff and my clients as well. And we all put a lot of work into making sure that they're successful events. And uh, just a little aside, if you don't know what's going on, you can also assign your vote to other people that you trust. And um, we always recommend the Australian Shareholders Association to send your proxy to if you want to have people look, who work on your behalf and um, doing good investigations into these companies. Yeah, absolutely. And we obviously saw a massive change in the annual general meeting space last year with the COVID restrictions is the sort of the rise and rise of virtual and hybrid AGMs. And so, you know, and I think what's attractive with a hybrid AGM is that just because you might live in a different city to where the AGM is being held, you can still log in and participate and vote online, ask questions online. You know, I think there's a strong argument for sort of a a broadening and a much richer engagement experience with hybrid AGMs as we sort of look to emerge from COVID and, uh, and and move forward. So in the future, I believe you've mentioned before about blockchain. Now, blockchain's what's behind cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, but uh, blockchain is the, the technology that enables it, but it can be used in other applications. And you've, you've got a particular interest in this area as well. Yeah, look, I mean, ultimately, ComputerShare is, um, is a technology business and We were founded in 1978. Technology has been right at our core ever since then. And, um, you know, we sort of look at blockchain like we do any range of emerging technologies and ultimately, you know, sort of look for the efficiencies that can stem from the application of new technologies, you know, whether that might be reduction in cost, it might be streamlined workflows, it might be risk mitigation. And so, you know, we we look at business problems to be solved. And again, these are global questions that we often look at, um, you know, across that 
sort of you know 20 capital markets globally and the experience that we've got from that we look at the business problems that can be solved and you know then what are the technologies that are available and and blockchain as an emerging technology is, is just one of those so i think that space whether it's blockchain or whether it's enhanced api access artificial intelligence machine learning there's a significant amount of change blowing through many industries, um, you know, and financial services and investments are no exception to that. So I think um, it's an exciting place to be. I think we have great experience that we can share and bring to a lot of these discussions around innovation, disruption, and what services and markets look like uh, into the future. Well, it's interesting that you describe ComputerShare as a technology company. Um, What sector is it classified under on the ASX? Oh, geez, I think we're software and services. Uh, okay. But, but is, is, that's under technology though, isn't it? I think so. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's good to know. So from your point of view, are there any traps that investors should be aware of in share ownership? Make sure you buy the, buy the right securities. But um, <laughs> Apart from I mean, you <laughs> getting the right equities. But <laughs> um, you know, distilling it back to sort of, you know, shares for beginners – I think the fundamental thing is, you know, once you've made the decision to buy securities in a company, stay engaged with those shares and really, you know, make sure that your details are up to date. Like I said right at the outset, make sure we've got your tax file number, make sure we've got your bank accounts. You know, I I don't like either not paying people dividends or there's delays with giving people their dividend money or taking withholding tax. So, Make sure that we've got, you know, those crucial pieces of data on file. Again, you know, an email address is fantastic because, you know, you can get, you know, those communication in, you know, 2021 is all about speed and efficiency and an email address only enables that to happen, enables companies to sort of engage and communicate more effectively and efficiently with investors Yeah, so just make sure that the details are up to date. You know, if there are issues, then our websites are fairly intuitive. They have got rich functionality in terms of what you can do in terms of updating and accessing information. And for those people that like to call up and and deal in paper, then, you know, we still offer that service as well to cater for that choice. Scott Hudson, thanks very much for your time. Thanks for having me, Phil. Cheers. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Shares for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thank you for listening to my podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 